Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 44 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I am your host, Adam. Uh, I'm really excited for today's episode. This is one that I've been looking forward to uh, since my guest, Jim Beckett, agreed to do it um, about a week and a half ago. Um, I'll take a second here to introduce him. Uh, but, but before that, I want to plug a couple of things real fast. Number one is uh, we ended the top 100. The 27 guy top 100 ended last uh, earlier this week. Uh, it was a long process over three months. Lots of writing, lots of recording, lots of uh, figuring out orders, and um, and I did my very best to order that thing as well as I could. So I hope that you guys really enjoyed it. But go back and take a look at uh, my Instagram again at the real twenty seven guy. Um, the other thing is I did a show this week with the Pack to the Future guys. Uh, they had some unfortunately had some audio issues, and so it didn't it didn't record perfectly. But if you get the chance to go back and, and listen to that and, and to, to listen to Know, kind of how I do some of that ordering. I think it was interesting. Those guys are hilarious and they're doing a really good job. The other thing is I was um, I had a, an episode last week with Kyle from the Wax Museum podcast and he's doing great things. It was great to get to know him. So go back and get a chance to, if you get a chance to, uh, to listen to those, I think that you'll like those. But uh, I've definitely got butterflies in my stomach today because I get to interview somebody who I've known uh, really for my whole life, but he has, he doesn't, he doesn't know me as well. Um, and that's Jim Beckett, Dr. Jim Beckett. Uh, Jim is uh, probably one of the few people in our industry who doesn't need any sort of introduction, but I'm going to do that anyways. Um, Jim is a PhD in statistics, which probably I think should hopefully lead he and I to, to get along pretty well. Um, I'm definitely, I consider myself a numbers guy, but I'm probably not going to be in his league. Um, Jim's the father of uh, the sports card price guides, um, specifically Beckett Magazine, and um, he's you know he's he's who we're talking about when we just say the name Beckett. We don't really think of the person always, but that's who we're talking about. Um, he also oversaw uh, BGS's beginnings, um, and he does a daily podcast. That's how devoted he is still to our hobby. You know, thirty something years after after uh, the first Beckett Magazine. He does a daily podcast called Dr. James Beckett's Sports Card Insights. It's an excellent listen. He does a lot better job than me of not being long-winded. Um, he tries to keep it to 15 minutes and they're just stellar, stellar episodes. I listen to all of them that are applicable to me in the hobby, which is a good percentage of them. And I think his, his history obviously speaks for itself. He's 283 episodes in. He, um, he writes in his, uh, in his description of the podcast, it says, Dr. Pep Beckett uh, unretires to share sports card stories, analyses, and opinions based on his six decades of intense experience. Um, they're really smart, lots of interesting nuggets of, of information. And I think between Dr. Beckett and I, we've got nine, uh, nine decades of, uh, of sports card experience, but this is one, one show where I will not have the lion's share of that. So with that, uh, with that introduction, uh, Jim, thank you for coming. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. I'm a subscriber. I look forward to uh, having this uh, episode dropped into my podcast queue uh, when, it, uh, when it drops. My friend, I've got so many questions, and I will not make it to even a percent of them, but I hope that tonight's fun for you because I know it will be for me. Okay, I'm going to ask you some really some random questions. Feel free to take as little or as much time as you want, but just know that no matter how short a time you take, I'm going to have more questions than we have time for. So if you can err on the side of short, that's probably good. Um, number one, tell me your first memory of a sports card. 
my first memory of a sports car was driving down the road with my uh, my family. I was the oldest of five kids. My dad had been a collector, and we stopped on the side of the road outside Washington, Pennsylvania. And my dad popped in to get gas or something, and he, he I either went in with him or he came out with a penny pack of '56 tops cards and the the and he got a pack of you know, gum, which my mom did not want me to chew. I don't know if she threw it out the window, but the card was Spook Jacobs. That was my first appearance of a card. Isn't that your, isn't that your favorite set till today? It, it it's kind of my favorite childhood set. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's your first love. Yeah, I love it. So just to give you some some uh, link, not not, to, not Spook Jacobs necessarily, but <laughs> uh, but uh, a great set, great set. Just to give you some link to me, my first set was 1990 hoops. So uh, we're, we're, yeah, but I think, I think I've got some of those same sort of type of memories. Okay, so if you were to take your life since that moment and to break it down in about a two-minute timeline of your relationship and all of your, your experiences with sports cards, I know that's not exactly an easy ask, but can you give us a two-minute timeline of, of what's happened to your life in sports cards since that time? Uh, the answer is no, I can't do it in two minutes, but I'll give you two minutes worth. Uh, basically, I mean, like everybody, I started out being a collector, but in the early days, almost everybody was like a collector slash dealer because you, you bought and sold. There, there wasn't any thought that you'd make money off it, but you'd, you'd trade and sometimes money would change hands. And so I went from being a collector to, uh, to a collector dealer. Uh, did some prom I promoted some card shows, organized the first card collecting club in the area. Um, and then, uh, you know, was a show dealer, did the buying trips, and then got involved in uh, doing price surveys, which then led to annual price guide books and all the sports, and then monthly magazines. And then I, on the end of my two minutes, I got kind of kicked upstairs to be kind of an executive because I had a fabulous team at some point that was uh, able to take care of all that stuff. And I really enjoyed, the, the closer I was to the cards, the more I enjoyed it. The farther away I got from the cards, the, the less I enjoyed it. Now I'm back to where I can, I can be with the cards. Your ability to, to summarize is so, I don't even, it, it, it's so infinitely, that's not even a good way to say it, but it's infinitely better than mine. I just, I, I wouldn't take it. I would take that and make it 20 minutes, and you did it in two. I've got some years on you, but, you know, my, uh, my uh, second job was being an expert witness. And when you're an expert witness in uh, complex litigation, if you can't spit it out pretty quick, uh, the judge or the jury moves on. You know, it doesn't matter how accurate or impressive what you're saying, there, there's, there's a tune-out factor. So hopefully I can get it out quicker. Well, I need to take notes. I need and it's my 15-minute podcast, which I, I, I'm trying to be succinct. I'm going to take notes from you on that. So thank you for teaching me. Um, okay, so the, the point that I would make after that introduction or after that, uh, that two-minute summation is a simple one, and that is, again, a reiteration that we don't have enough time. I think that um, if it was me, I would do a... I don't know how many hour kind of oral history on your time with Beckett, with Beckett magazine and from its beginning 
all the way to you know you you've talked about when you when you had your heart attack and then and then and then what then what happened thereafter i'd like to know everything about how it started and then up until when you sold it and up until what your thoughts are on it until today um, but we don't have time for that so i'm going to try to hit some of the real key questions that are interesting to me because i think those will be interesting to other people you talked about your first memory of sports cards being a 1956 baseball pack or tops baseball pack and uh, your dad going to the gas station and grabbing it out. What's your first memory of a, this is the basketball card podcast after all. What's your first memory of a basketball card? 61, 62 Fleer. You know, I don't really, I mean, I, I might vaguely have remembered 57, 58 tops, but really it was the Fleer. And, and we really, in our neighborhood, even though it was, I lived in uh, West Virginia at the time, which is a basketball crazy state. And I played, that's when I kind of switched from playing baseball to basketball uh, as a kid. But the, the, the cards got no respect. They were too, it's too, too uh, short of a set. I mean, 66 cards, it, it was too easy. And so we didn't, we didn't respect it. I, I, I had them and, and traded them off for baseball. So you actually owned, you remember opening packs of 1961 Flair? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're a nickel. They're a nickel, Adam. You know? So, uh, but, and if you find any that have JB in, uh, you know, in a ballpoint pen on the back, you know, that'll be proof. But I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I was an idiot. You know, whatever. He's a young guy. Um, like I said, and it was not a, basketball cards were not respected. It was too easy to complete the set. And, uh, you know, we were big Jerry West fans there, but the big O was great. Wilt, you know, all the, all the, all the big stars, but it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't, uh, when you said it wasn't, wasn't respected. And, and to your point about the two minutes and all this stuff, you know, you know, I'm going to do a thousand podcast episodes. So every, I'm not saying everything you want to know will be in the thousand episodes, but I'm trying to get to some of these, vignettes and stories and hopefully you'll tease out some of those uh, today because i'm i'm a recovering linearist you know i mean i don't think you know most uh, stories that you know movies and things like that are not always told in a linear fashion it's not as exciting as sometimes if you jump around and make it less predictable and so i'm trying to draw out when you're i'm sure you're going to ask me something today that i hadn't thought about that, that from, you know, 1990 that I'm going to say, oh, yeah, this is what happened. So, so I'm relying on people like you that are, were, were passionate uh, followers to, to ask some great questions, and I'm looking forward to it. And at the end of all these years uh, that I do these podcasts, uh, maybe somebody can put it, put it in order, but it'll be oral history. Yeah. So I, I have a, I have a follow-up to that, but I'm going to, in, in the spirit of being a linearist, is, or I think is the word that you used, I am going to actually hold it uh, till later in the in, in make sure that it falls in line of my questions. But um, okay, so you, you talked about owning the shop. Do you remember selling basketball cards in the shop? And if so, what do you remember selling? Well, the problem was, uh, and again, this is the reason basketball is so so popular now is because there aren't as many basketball cards historically that you can you can kind of uh, get enough knowledge to feel like you're an expert. But if you turn the clock back, uh, uh, well, what would it be, 40 years to when I had a card shop, you couldn't have, you know, Adam, you couldn't have a basketball section because there weren't enough basketball cards 
to have a section. That, that predates the star company cards, uh, tops, uh, the top sets of the, of, the, uh, of the mid and late 70s still really don't get a lot of respect. Those first few uh, years of tops are, you know, the tall boys, you know, they're okay. But once you get up, you know, 70, well, the late 70s, let's just say they're not, they're not sets that, that people are, are avidly collecting. And the 8081, got uh, struck lightning or, you know, got struck gold in, in the way the configuration of, uh, of, of, uh, uh, of, of the panels. Well, anyway, my point is in the card shop, basketball was not a big deal and not a big deal. In fact, the 86, 87 Fleer was, was, was not, uh, went wanting. They, they, unopened was there for years. Was that was that while you owned the shop, the eighty six? Or you or you had, you had probably moved on from the shop at that point. Is that right? I had my big years in the shop were you know like eighty, eighty one, eighty two, okay, eighty three. By eighty four, when I'm doing a, a the uh, uh, starting the magazine, I'm divesting. Okay. okay. So I had no more active role. I wouldn't work in it. And, but I'm still as best friends with the two guys that were the owners. We had, we, the the three of us owned it. Gotcha. So when I stepped out, I still saw these guys and it wasn't like, and we split up the stuff and I got, I got, I mean, this is horrible to say, but I, I got, I got a box, an open box of, uh, of uh, 86, 87 Fleer as part mm-hmm. of my split when they put it and it, it, you know what it was valued at about 10 bucks, 20 bucks. It was, it, it was nothing. And I, I wound up either giving it away, trading it. It's, I don't even want to tell you what happened to it. It's but long it's, gone. It's long gone. Well, just to give you, you know, just to give you a little bit about bit history about my background, I'll just do it briefly. I, I have cards from the fifties and sixties and, um, you know, I have a, a, car, a Hot Rod Hunley 1957 uh, tops PSA DNA autograph. I have um, one of my favorite, you mentioned Jerry West and Oscar Roberts, and I have both of their rookies autographed PSA DNA. Um, and so I love the history of basketball cards, and a lot, a lot of it is because of what you're talking about, where there is this, you know, Jerry West had cards in 1969, or sorry, 1961, 1969 through 1974, and that's it. I don't think he had a 75. I think 74 was his last year. Um, that's it. You know, you're talking about six or seven cards. Will Chamberlain has six or seven cards. And that, that, that's why vintage basketball is kind of like, is kind of my first love. Even though it was before my time, I grew up with my dad telling me stories about some of these guys. And, and so they're meaningful to me, even though I never, never saw them play. But your point about there only being a few of each of these players, it's easy to be an expert. It's easy to collect them all. And, uh, and I think that's really a point. What was a negative 40 years ago is now positive. The fact that there were so few of them meant you couldn't really, it didn't, here's the thing, the card companies and, and with a single license, license or a licensee kind of thing is that a lot, the, the commoditization of cards is it, it's about shelf space. The card companies are competing with each other to get shelf space. Well, basketball back in the sixties or seventies, there was no shelf space. You know, they, 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 they had one product and it wasn't even, uh, highly regarded. Even football was was better. Um, and then when when baseball took off, and then and and uh, and football, then basketball later 
kind of caught on, but it was not a lot of shelf space. So this segues really well into the next question, which is, um, what do you remember about publishing the first Beckett basketball and, and why was, was that issue, which I believe is April, 1990, why was that the time to then publish that, that magazine? We had a tiger by the tail and, you know, basically when, uh, when the decision was made to start, uh, to not incorporate football, which, which, which got hot before basketball did. So football was getting hot. And so uh, everybody said, well, you need to include football in with the baseball magazine. I said, no. And again, the conventional wisdom is, hey, you already got a sure thing. You can't miss. I said, no, we need to start a separate magazine. Everybody was against me uh, because I'm looking at the handwriting on the wall. I'm thinking, we're going to do basketball. And then we're going to do, I mean, we're going to do football. Then we're going to do basketball. Then we're going to do hockey. And there's four Mondays in a typical month. And we're going to, we're going to, and I, I'm going to, hire experts in those different sports to help me and uh and we'll uh, spread our workload through the month it turned out to be exactly the right decision and so basketball came on the heels of football as soon as we could orderly do it we basically i didn't have a now this is a, i have a lot of rules of thumb which can be broken but if you look back at the history of beckett publications there was probably one major innovation each year. Again, I'm this linear guy. And so every year we bring uh, a new a new thrust or something. And so, and sometimes more than one, but typically, but I can't tell you, Adam, how many ideas were being thrown at us from our internal team, my ideas, other people that were suggesting things. We could have done 10 new things every year, but to have a, we were already growing as fast as we could. You know, we doubled every year for a number of years. And so, uh, but basketball, we, we get, put that out as soon as we could and it was immediately well received. And then shortly thereafter, when we had that squared away, we jumped into hockey. And then uh, the next year, I don't know, we maybe did future stars and the next year we did. So we I tried to have an orderly progression. I mean, I'm, I'm the order out of chaos, not the, turn order into chaos when you when you grow too fast matter of curiosity what number of do you have any idea what number of magazines you sold in your tenure you mean well we were selling i mean basketball we were selling hundreds of thousands each issue across all four sports across the 20 years do you have any idea have you ever calculated that 300 million Okay, I'll I'll stop trying to prop you up here. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. And three hundred million. I own about I own about a hundred of them. So there you go. Um, okay. So how did you? Did, did, a lot of magazines, and they were coming out every month. So there were there were a lot. So and another matter of curiosity was there was there licensing fees to to the to the professional sports leagues to make the magazines? And can you talk about that at all? What those structures look like? I mean, there's an editorial fair usage kind of thing. I mean, some of the, we, we, uh, we tried to do something with the Olympics and they were not uh, uh, cooperative. We had uh, a, a decent relationship with uh, Nintendo or, or uh, the different uh, Pokemon stuff for a number of years, Neopets, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! We, so we, we had base. We didn't really want to be publishing things where, where the where the main license or the or the powers that be didn't want us there. I mean, I thought 
we're being helpful. We'll help, we're helping to promote the category. If they didn't see it that way and they weren't going to be very cooperative, well, then, then uh, so, we, we, um, so we were looking for a, a good relationship. So we had a good relationship with the Major League Baseball and the Players Association. They, I don't know that we were a conduit there, but, I mean, they, they had some enmity at times, and we were stuck in the middle. But we're, 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 uh, we were, as much as we could, we were trying to be peacemakers. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful hobby. And, and we need the, we need the uh, players and the teams and the owners to cooperate. Awesome. Great, great answer. Those are the sort of things that you always wonder about when you're a kid. And Another basketball one was, does the best job of that, by the way. What's that? Basketball does the best job of the cooperation mm-hmm. of the owners, the franchises, and the players. And the, the owners knowing that promoting the players is the way they get ahead, not um, just the logo. So this is another personal, another sort of like curiosity of mine. I remember when, when so I'm a huge Utah Jazz fan, and I remember the issues where Carl Malone was on the front or the back. And, you know, being in Utah, we definitely have little guy syndrome. We always felt like we were at the short end of it. But I remember Malone was on the second, the second Beckett ever had Dave Robinson on the front and had had Carl on the, on the back. How did you guys decide who, who went on the front and the back covers of the magazine? Well, in the beginning, I was the decider. And then as the years went by, I probably released that a little bit. But I, I, I was tracking. I mean, I really, I, I, I just, uh, you know, the, who was on the cover had a little bit of mystique to it. And uh, we'd try to wait till the last minute. Sometimes we'd print uh, more than one cover and then decide at the last minute. So it was a very uh, strategic uh, decision. We, uh, again, we weren't counting up how many uh, fans or collectors we had in Utah. Uh, we weren't making a democracy or anything, but we tried to spread it around. You yeah. know, we, uh, otherwise we'd have Michael Jordan every month. <laughs> you know, that's like the Oprah magazine. No, we, we, we spread it around and, and uh, you know the, the admiral and and uh, the mailman, all these. There there's some iconic stars in basketball, just like the other sports. But basketball, especially, there's there's uh, th- that was a lot of fun. You know, I've got about 15 more questions, and I'm not going to make it through even. I'm not going to make it through them. So, um, but I'm going to skip some and and ask you ask you a few that I'm most interested in, in with respect to your time. Uh, the first question that I have is, I remember certain times in the history of Beckett where there were up arrows just everywhere. And a couple of the things that kind of come to my mind are, I remember when refractors took off, right? It was like 95 or 96 and they really took off. Everybody wanted to own a refractor, at least in Utah, that's how it felt. I remember when um, Topps Chrome really like just the first year of Topps Chrome blew up in a way that I remember very few sets blowing up. I remember the Kobe Bryant rookie being just this amazing thing that people wanted. And I remember, I remember another Beckett where every card that was a redemption card, you know, back like the Topps, Topps series had some redemption rookie cards and, um, in Fleer, they had the Lucky 13s. Every redemption card across the board completely blew up. And I've wondered since then if, if Beckett drove people to, in, into buying behaviors or if the buying behaviors drove Beckett or if they worked together. Do you have – I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Well, lots of thoughts about that. I mean, basically, uh, it's, it's – uh, there's – there's uh, two ways to be wrong. You know, it, it, 
there's there's a, the the way to be wrong is to set prices that uh, that are that are not accurate because you're making them up. We didn't do that. Uh, the way we were wrong is that we were trying to reflect the prices as best we could that were there, and so we could be wrong in an extreme up market, or if the market uh, uh, flipped on us, that something all of a sudden got cold, a player or something like that. So we were willing to have that, but you know, you you just you 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 couldn't make it for very long if you were not reflecting the prices that were there. Uh, what happened was, Adam, that, that muddies the water is that, that people, you know, the, the same dealers that were getting price information and tracking at the card shows are, you know, people say, oh, if, it's, if this is the price in the magazine, that's nonsense. The savviest dealers were taking last month's price and saying, I'm selling this guy for more. Otherwise, we wouldn't have marked it up. Okay, so some dealers that didn't do their own homework just priced it whatever it was in the magazine. But the savviest dealers, the pace-setting dealers, the ones that did their own homework, you know, that would push the market. And so, if 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 that's symbiosis, uh, maybe because we're we're tracking with those people again. If those prices didn't stick, then the prices would be the same. But they, again, you in hindsight now you can see it was an up market. A lot of interest. I mean, hobby was was going strong. I mean, the junk wax era that gets this bad rap, you forget there was huge enthusiasm there. That's why so many cards are being produced. Tremendous. Do you do you think you you talked about you talked about um, and this question just kind of came to me right now. You've talked on your on your podcast about about the market data that you received from various industry experts, people who were selling and, and buying and seeing what things are worth. We, we are definitely in a world right now where market manipulation is something that we kind of have to be thinking about because it's, it seems like it's a real issue. Do you think if you look back, was there ever a time that you suspected that people were reporting data to you to try to drive you to make, to, to, to change things in the magazine? Or does, is that something that we hadn't, that people hadn't really thought of at that point? If it wasn't just invented, that was going, that's been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, we did two things though, to, to fight against that. One is that we were not, uh, and again, when you're doing it, when it's, when it's uh, digitized like this, uh, again, on eBay, you can, you can dig deeper and try to see who, the, you know, if it was a truly consummated sale, a legit sale. But in the, back in the pre-digital days, uh, we were doing our own version of that, is, is that, that all sales were not equal in the sense of the quality of the data. We, we had somebody... And, you know, if you've met some of the guys on our team that are still in the hobby, they're really sharp, that we'd have somebody on the West Coast, the Midwest, and the East Coast pretty much every weekend tracking what was really selling and seeing uh, who was selling it, actually. Because there were some people that were, were reporting prices that were really not true, but we knew that because we were there. It wasn't like, a, oh, I sold a bunch of these. And it was, well, wait a minute, we, we, we went by your table and it's still there. Mm. And, or we talked to the person that bought it and he said, no, I didn't pay $1,500 for it. I paid 1000 for it. And then further, the other thing we did that is also something people don't do very much now is that we tracked non-sales, at least in my regime. 
And that is that when people are saying, hey, it's selling all day long for 1500 bucks on eBay, but you go to the show and there's a whole bunch of them there for a thousand and they're all, you know, and they're, they're great. Let's say they're even graded, you know, and you can say, well, wait a minute, how could it be 1500 selling on hotcakes? If it was, then all the thousand dollar ones would be, would be swallowed up. And so something, something isn't right. And so again, the hobby was much smaller then. And so we could, we, we could do more follow-up, but over time we knew which dealers we could trust. And if they betrayed the trust, well, then they'd, they'd lose some credibility points. It didn't mean we'd throw out everything they said, but it meant we took with a grain of salt. And there are other, there's some really honest, reputable uh, dealers, uh, you know, people in this industry. And we were blessed to have many of them as, as some primary sources for us. Just extremely well said, in my opinion, and just tremendous perspective. When, when you led with this is something that's been going on since the beginning of the time, I just think that's yeah. it's so smart. It's so I mean, good. It's a compliment to our industry that people care enough to try to make money illegally. The problem is it's so easy to make money legally. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, it, everything that they wanted things to go up too fast. They, a lot of that stuff eventually went up. But, um, you know, I'm not a get rich quick guy. I'm a get rich slow guy. Yeah, you've talked a lot on your podcast, which again, which again, we should plug. It's Dr. James Beckett's Sports Card Insights. You've talked a lot about how you want the, the hobby to stay, stay sustainable. And I got a million questions on that. But again, I know we're running out of time. I, I really, I really think it's smart to, to step back every now and then and realize that not everything just you know, doubles every year. And, and, and we're in a market right now where it feels like that, but that's being talked about in a lot of other places. And so I don't want to belabor that. Um, going back to the market manipulation thing, I will tell you a little bit about my collecting. I love the chase of the really rare item. And I err on the side of rare and, and interesting along with being iconic than just the iconic. Um, I Like, for example, I would rather have a, a one-off Ken Griffey card than a Ken Griffey, you know, rookie card, upper deck card. The upper deck card, there's so many of them, it doesn't appeal to me. But the thing that takes me a while to find and has a chase associated with it, that's where my passion lies and that's where my collection, that's what my collection looks like. The thing about that is that in recent years, we've seen more and more of those types of rare, really interesting items um, come out really since the, since the late, since the mid nineties, it skewed that way. And especially this last 15 years, you know, one of ones and the cards that are most popular now are numbered to 10. And what I think that does, and I have, I have my, my own thoughts on it, but I, but I wonder, do you think that the market that we're in today is more easily manipulated than it was back then? And how do we, how do you, how do you think about how we, protect ourselves as buyers from that? Uh, yeah, it's more easily manipulated because you tell me if there's a manipulation, if somebody buys a one-of-one -one card at a high price, you know, are you going to do a, an FBI investigation of the person or, or do a background check to see if there's a, a six degrees of separation of the seller? I mean, it's a sale. It's a legitimate sale. The card changed hands. Uh, you know, it, that's why the, the Beckett uh, media guys don't normally really price the one of ones because it's, 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 it's very speculative by the, by the very nature. Now, when you have a whole bunch of one of ones, then you can do some comparisons. But it's, to me, that's almost a different hobby. 
you know, it's, it's, uh, and it's exciting and it's, it's, and it's, there's, there's a little bit of a gambling aspect. There's a little bit of a speculation aspect, even when it's LeBron James, even when it's Luca or, or, or uh, Michael Jordan, even because you're talking about, you know, when you get a, even five figures, much less six figures or seven figures. So, so I don't, um, so yeah, there's manipulation going on. So what is the antidote? The antidote is education. And that's, I, I'm not, it's not my only mission in my podcast or yours in your podcast, but there's a lot of podcasts out there that hopefully are helping listeners to figure out what is real value. And when you look at X dollars for a card, uh, you've got to say, do I want that? And the, and it, the answer isn't just yes or no. It's what are the other things I could get with that? I mean, that's why I really like what you're doing with your top 100. You're making a choice. If I really want this, well, then that's equal to these other two or three. Now, I could sell those, raise the money and do that and, and kind of have a, a zero uh, sum game or, a, or a, you know, a neutral, a cash neutrality in my hobby. But at some point, the prices get so high that, that, that you question that. And so if people are unquestionably, unquestioningly buying cards, that's bad. You know, unless they're billionaires, if they're billionaires, they could just do what they want to do. But the average person ought to think long and hard about spending uh, big bucks on a card. And don't do it if you think the only reason is it's going to go up because everything's going up because it, it goes up until it doesn't. So Jim, we we could talk we could talk forever. I'm tempt, I'm totally tempted to. I I I've got my brains ready to go in about a hundred different directions on on everything that you just said. I, I will say on the on the you know the cards the cards need an end user. They need an end person who wants them. And I think sometimes people, especially right now, where there's just this this excitement, this 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 exuberated like. I want these cards. I need these cards. Sometimes people forget that things go down. Sometimes people forget that they have to actually want them in the end. And I think for me, that's what I'm proud about most with my, with my top 100 is that I really just like my cards and I don't, you know, and for me, that's something that I, that I want to, that I want to keep at some point I might have to move them for whatever reason. But um, I think there needs to be, I think there needs to be an end user I've got a million other questions. I want to just hit you with a few rapid fire things, but you look like, was there something else you want to say? I've said, I'm, I'm on a hard stop in 10 minutes. Okay. 10 minutes, but uh, just the whole thing about this manipulation and stuff is just, it's, it's, it's problematic, but if people get educated and their ability, if they have the ability to just say no, then, then I like our chances. Otherwise, it's, things just can't keep going up. So go ahead. So the purpose of our podcast is is to to educate and but as you've talked about on your podcast, when somebody has an advantage in information and they use that for their gain, that there's nothing wrong with that. And and I don't want to misrepresent what you said, so clarify, but but I think that in the really rare high-end game, that information is even more valuable and and maybe more applicable. So um let me hit you with some real, some real quick, quick things. And if you don't, if you don't have anything to add on any of these, please. Let me, let me give you one more quick thing because I just, okay. I've never thought about this in this life, but I just want to share it with you. I don't okay. know if you do a lot of stock market or personal investing, but if cards had capital gains treatment, which they really kind of don't, if you're buying and selling, 
But if they did, then it'd be really cool if you had to hold the card to get a long-term capital gain, and that would weed out a lot of these day trader flippers. Because if I thought, you know what, I'm gonna pay big taxes unless I hold this for a year. And they said, well, I, I don't think I wanna do that because I, 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 I wanna be in and out. And that they, they'd leave. I'm not going to call the SEC and, and suggest that uh, legislation, but I'm not in favor of more regulation. But it's just interesting thought. Um, do you, this is this is this is an unlikely um, yes to this. But do you remember? Do you remember anything about the 1968 Topps Test basketball set? I don't remember seeing it until in the 70s. What do you know about it? Do you know anything other than hey, my my? Uh, Hold on, just let me think about this. See this card right here? Oh, uh, it's uh, see, it's over on my. The, uh, hold on, just a minute. Uh, well, it's there's a mirror image here, but the sec second card from the uh, from the right in the bottom right corner. Is that Sloan or is that Havlicek? Jerry Sloan. Okay, so that's that's an example of this is my wall of fame. So Jerry Sloan, that's my Jerry Sloan example. Do you so, own that? This this is my wall of fame, Adam. Come on. Jim, so if I was to make a list of ten cards that I want to own in my collection, that's one. <laughs> I'm that's not the only one I've seen. I'm sure there are others out there, but I picked that up. Uh, in the 70s because okay so i'm just going to demolish the 10 minutes and all the other questions that i had for this for this point because so jerry sloan was our coach here all growing I up know. and and he and his rookie card is 1970 tops it's a tall boy's card and his face looks distorted and he's like right. making it's off you know you know what i'm talking about i remember it yeah so i i picked up a wilt chamberlain 1968 test card um back a few years ago, I was amazed. It's it's just beat it's beat the heck. But but it's an original. It's a PSA one, uh, and and it's an original Wilt Chamberlain Topps test card. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when I saw it, and so I bought it. Um, and 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 I bought another one since then um, of of one of the more common players in the set. Um, his name's Jim King. He's one of the few people in the set that people don't actually really remember. Really a common. What's that? But what's a common in that kind of set? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was an all-star that year, and that's why I was in the set. Everybody in the set was an all-star. But Jerry Sloan, like, that card is is a beautiful card, and it's got the puzzle piece on the back. Do you remember Do you remember anything else about how they came about, or do you remember anything that wouldn't maybe show up in the price guide that you would share with us on it? I, you, know, I, you know, Steve Taft, I'd talk to him. You know, he's okay. my basketball vintage guy that really been, and uh, Hank – uh, Rezus, you know, some, some old time basketball guys, but I don't know that they were collecting at the time, but they may have more info on that. But I just remembered that it was tough and I researched them for the price guide, but almost any price we would put down would be the, the, the scarcity was just, they're crazy scarce. Was it, I have this vague familiar, vague memory that I remember seeing something in the magazine about them, but I've looked back at old magazines and tried to find, do you know if it was just something that was in the annual, the almanac, or was it ever, is there a story about it? Uh, maybe, but I don't, I don't remember that, but I, I know it was in the almanacs or the, you know, the, the annual price guides, we'd have them in there, but it was again, really, 
really difficult to get pricing information on those. Gosh, we're, we're out of time and I've got, I've got 12 more questions. I, I'm not going to get through any of them. I just, I just want to say, um, you know, I'm, I hope you'll come back and talk to me again. Um, <laughs> and I'll come back to your show anytime you want. But, but it's, it's, for me, it's a personal pleasure to meet you, to be acquainted with you. And, and you know, just please keep doing what you're doing with your podcast. And, uh, you know, I tried to convince you, and, you know, I don't know if mine will come out before yours or vice versa, but I tried to convince you to, to, to get on the social media a little bit because I think that for people like me, to be able to connect with you and ask you certain questions would be really, would be really a treat, but I understand why that might not always be ideal, but um, just thank you for taking the time today. Is there anything you want to plug or anything else you want to say before you go? No, I'm having fun. And uh, like I said, I have fun uh, doing uh, my own podcast, but also have fun listening to, to yours and others. And again, basketball is kind of overrepresented, but you're the only one that has the Beckett bites. And frankly, it's not the Beckett bites like Beckett bites the verb, but Beckett <laughs> bites the noun, which is uh, maybe you should call it Beckett bits, uh, uh, Adam. Uh, but uh, I appreciate the walk down memory lane. Those were great times. I loved doing the readers right in the early days, and then it, it got too big for me to respond to all those uh, questions. But you really got it's what you're saying about like the Instagram is that the the engagement of all the letters we got. And they were passionate and people had these really thoughtful questions. We couldn't give a personal response to each person, but we could pick out representative, you know, ones that would be of interest to more than just the person. It wasn't like, what's my card worth? It was like, why is this this? And then we could respond in a manner that would be generalizable to be helpful to more than just that person. And so that was, uh, and our team got that. And so I was able to delegate a lot of that in the, in the later years. And if you look back at, you know, some of the, like you're doing in your Beckett Bites, when you look back, at your, you're looking at set reviews. Uh, I think you're looking at some Reader's Write kind of things and some articles that still, I mean, that's my podcast. I'm trying to do evergreen, timeless things. Uh, the magazine was not an attempt to do that as much, but you're proving that some of them were. It, the information hadn't changed. The values had changed. But, you know, what the way they were issued, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to see that from the get-go, these things were produced in a certain quantity, in a certain price, in a certain rarity. And it's, it's fun to look at how the values have, have uh, not meandered, but they haven't shot straight up in every case. But in some cases, you just think, I want to get in the time machine <laughs> and not just for football, uh, basketball, but for all the sports, I want to get in that time machine and go back. But of the sports, basketball might be the best time machine to get in and to grab up all the, certainly all the Michael Jordans, but probably anybody else in the PMGs and these other things. And just on the other hand, grabbing up all you could see at a card show might be three. You go to a huge card show, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm paying double book for every one of those. Would you surface five at a, at a huge regional show? Maybe not even that. So that's the, that's the dilemma. And now they're so scarce that even now, with the prices going through the roof, you still don't see that many surfacing. 
you know, you 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 hit it on the head. We we had the last dance. We had this tremendous boom in Michael Jordan. You know, what surface is a whole bunch more 86, 87 Fleer? But that's that's exactly what I was gonna but say. Not these other ones. Nobody nobody posted a jamble. I mean, there were very few jambalias. There were no PMGs. None of those cards sold. Nobody wants to sell them. So I'm gonna sound like a pumper if Third I keep card, uh, top top row on the left. Uh, oh, who is it? Shaq. Shaq Jambalaya. Is that from one of the retro series? No. It no, it's the original. Yeah. You're See, that's Paul O'Neill, uh, pre-rookie. And then I, I'm, it's mirror image. Anyway, it's the third one from the – there's Merlin Olsen, then Jermaine O'Neal, and then Shaq and uh, Jambalaya, and then Paul O'Neill and um, – you know, and you see their, their satchel page because you get to the P's, Ovechkin. Uh, it, it goes O, P, Q, R, S, and then get to Sloan over here. So this is the O, O, P, R, S section. I want to see the Jim Beckett top 100 on Instagram. I, I got a top 1,000. Of course, that just gives me more fodder, more opportunity to, to uh, more legs. Uh, I like I told my wife, Jerry I'm not going to run out of episodes. I can't believe you <laughs> got a Jerry Sloan. I can't. Your your wife's going to be mad at me for keeping That's you. That's not just for your benefit, Adam. It's it just happens to be what I had. I mean, I would have picked up uh, uh, Jerry West would have been probably what I would have if I'd had a choice. But I don't think I had a choice. I think I picked up the only one because I, I basically, and my collection is more based on a type card because for all those years I really wasn't an active collector as much as a type card guy, because I was trying to have cards to picture for my, uh, you know, for the, for the annual price guides. Cause I've I got a Jim King for trade for your Jerry Sloan. Whenever you want to pull the trigger on that, let me know. Okay. Bottom left, uh, third from the left there, uh, Scotty Pippen, John Malaya. Uh, Cause you can see right on the end is uh, Roddy Rowdy Par uh, Piper. You're killing me, Jim. You're killing me. Okay, so next time, next time you you need a Jim King, let me know. Um, I, I, I believe, I believe, I could be wrong about this, but I believe that Jerry Sloan might be the only tops test card that uh, Beckett ever graded. Well, since it's my card and I exclusively grade with him, uh, maybe, maybe. All right, my friend. Well, um, that's fun. Uh, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. It's, let, we'll get some feedback and accumulate some things so we can uh, say your podcast allows for a little more free form and smooth sailing. But the other format we can do next time you're on my show is like the dueling questions format. So next time we do it, which probably needs to be at least in a month because I need to give some time to so it's not the, the Jim and Adam show. But make uh, kind of have an idea of like a topic that we want to tackle, not Instagram again, but something like that that we can encapsulate it and do something. And then we'll do the dueling questions. Then you can knock out a few of the questions. And same deal. We'll do a home and away, and then we'll then you can record another thirty minutes for for your show. Well, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm, you're asking me things that are slightly different than some of the other people have asked. And that I, I told my wife, I said, if I sit down and try to tell stories, I'm going to, I'm not going to think of all the stories, but other people that were at different points of time and different places are going to have questions that are going to draw out things that I go, Oh, that's right. That happened. 
I really do have 12 questions at the end of this that I'd like to ask, but, but again, your wife's going to get mad at me. So let me just end with this, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, happy collecting. Happy collecting to you, Adam. Thank you very much. Thank you.